Welcome to KB Cabaret's St. Patrick's Day Special, Part 2. We have so much material on our hands that we decided to do one more show for you, considering that the holiday was on Thursday. Why not? One before, one after. Nothing like a St. Patrick's Day sandwich. So sit back and enjoy. BHH Productions presents KB Cabaret, an original variety show, with your host, Bree Harvey. Hi folks, and welcome to KB Cabaret. My name is Bree Harvey, head writer and producer of this show. KB Cabaret is a calabaloo of original skits, songs, poetry, and short stories. What's Calabaloo, you ask? Magic from a child's creative imagination. I was five when I coined that word, and it's been with my family ever since. The settings originate from my hometown, Parlor City. And the stories originate from people... Who are a product of fiction. Names, characters, places, and incidents either are products of the author's imagination or are used fictitiously. Any resemblance to actual events, locales, or persons living or dead is entirely coincidental. Thank you, Kate. That, folks, obviously, is my lawyer. Starring my friends, the Parlor City Players, Judy McMahon, Kate Murray, Molly Murray, Charles Berman, John Carey, John Montgomery, Bill Murray, and me, your host, Bree Harvey. KB Cabaret would also like to introduce a new voice talent, Dawn Gould. Welcome to our town. Welcome to Parlor City, where our friends come, come out to play. When neighbors don't leave, they stay and chat a while. Welcome to our town, to KB Cabaret. This week on KB Cabaret, we present part two of our St. Patrick's Day special, with more music from our special guest, Brian Highland. KB Cabaret is brought to you by Siesta Vista Mattresses. Welcome to our time to KB Cabaret. Is this on? Oh, okay. Hi. I'm Midge the Poodle, and this is my segment called The World as I See It. My mom told me to talk about St. Patrick's Day. Well, okay, I guess. I mean, I wish everyone who celebrates St. Patrick's Day a happy holiday. But honestly, I don't get it. Where are the presents? I thought all holidays you had to get presents. You know, wrap up in pretty paper and put a bow on it. Hmm? Oh, she says there are parades and parties celebrating St. Patrick's Day. Okay, well. So I'm a poodle. What am I supposed to do with that information? I'm not allowed to party. When I jump or bark, you say no. So I mean... What's that all about? Anyway, whatever. Happy St. Patrick's Day. P- 
partying and stuff. Maybe next year you could think about buying presents, too. This is Midge the Poodle, and this is the world as I see it. On this St. Patrick's Day, we feature a special appearance on our show by Carrie and Kate, the non-identical but very similar Irish twins. Have a black eye, your arms in a sling, and your legs in a cast. Was you hit by a train, or did you merely jump from the bridge? Tis a sad story, Kate. Last night I was in bed with Mrs. O'Grady, when all of a sudden Mr. O'Grady bursts through the door, grabs a big shillelagh, and proceeds to beat the living but Jesus out of me. Saints alive, Carrie! Didn't you defend yourself? Oh, that I did, Kate. I grabbed the first thing I could find, but it wasn't much good in the fight. Pray tell me, Carrie, what did you grab? Mrs. O'Grady's buttocks. Carrie, did you hear the news about poor Mary O'Flaherty? Oh, yes, Kate. Mary's finally passed on. Tis sad. That it is. She had a tough life. She was just a lass when she married her first husband, Seamus. They had eight children when poor Seamus died. Then she married her second husband, Patrick. They had six more children and then Patrick unfortunately died too. And then Mary married her third husband, Clancy. They had three more children when Clancy died. And now Mary's gone too. At last they can be together. Together? What do you mean? Mary and Seamus? Or or Patrick and Mary? Or or Mary and Clancy? Which one do you... What do you mean when you say they can be together? I was referring to her legs. Little known St. Patrick's Day facts. Even though St. Patrick's Day is celebrated in numerous countries around the globe... There are only three places in the world where it is an actual public holiday. Ireland, the Canadian province of Newfoundland, and the island of Montserrat. The very first St. Patrick's Day parade didn't take place in Ireland. It was, in fact, held in Boston in 1737. However, the first large-scale such event took place in New York in 1762. In 1780, George Washington allowed his soldiers a holiday on March 17th as an act of solidarity with the Irish in their fight of independence. The shortest parade route was reported to be in Dripsy in County Cork, Ireland. It stretched for a mere 23.4 meters, which is approximately 77 feet, between two local pubs, the Way Inn and the Lee Valley. However, these days, the shortest parade is apparently held in Hot Springs, Arkansas. It spans 30 meters, which is only 98 feet. 
It is hard to imagine bars and pubs in Ireland being closed on St. Patrick's Day. Let's face it, Guinness sales are soaring on that day. However, up until 1970, all taps were dry on March 17th. By a law decreed in 1903, St. Patrick's Day was celebrated as a national holiday. All bars have to be closed on any national holiday, and thus, there were no pubs open on St. Patrick's Day. That law was finally overridden in 1970. The first song that we are going to be hearing is called, tell me if I'm pronouncing this right, Spencil Hill? Spencil Hill, yes. Now, there you are using this accordion, correct? Yes, yes. Tell me a little background of Spencil Hill. It's a, it's a song that was made from a letter that a, an Irishman wrote in the period of the California Gold Rush. What happened was that, like so many other Irish, he had left Ireland and he'd come to America and he'd gone off to California and he did not strike it rich and unfortunately he got very ill and he realized he was going to die. And what he did was he had a dream about returning home to County Clare, uh, to Spancel Hill and being there around the 23rd of June, which is the time of the the... Uh, winter solstice, or excuse me, summer solstice. Uh, and what happens is that he just imagines going through the village and seeing the villagers. But of course, everybody has grown older as he has grown older in California. Last night as I lay dreaming Unpleasant days gone by Me mind being bent on rambling To Ireland I did fly Oh, I stepped on board a vision And I followed with my will Till at length I came to anchor At the cross near Spansel Hill it being the 23rd of June, the day before the fair, when Ireland's sons and daughters in crowds assembled there. Oh, the young, the old, the brave and the bold, they came for sport and skill. There was jovial conversation at the cross near Spansel Hill. I went to see me neighbors to hear what they might say. The old ones were all dead and gone, and the young ones turning gray. Oh, I met with Taylor Quigley, he's as bold as ever still. Sure, he used to mend me breeches long ago in Spansel Hill. I paid a flying visit to my first and only love 
She's as white as any lily and as gentle as a dove. Oh, she threw her arms around me, crying, Johnny, I love you still. Sure, she's Meg, the farmer's daughter, and the pride of Pansel Hill. I dreamed I stooped to kiss her as in the days of yore. She says, Johnny, you're only joking as many as the time before. Oh, the cock crew in the morning, it crew but loud and shrill. I awoke in California, many miles from Spansel Hill. What's going on, Dottie? Oh, I'm all excited. My Uncle Elmer is running for councilman in Parlor City. Really? Oh, that's exciting. Is he on the Republican or Democratic ticket? I don't know. Does it matter? Well, it does if he wants to go on the ballot. Oh, well, he's a drunk. Does that count? What? That's one of the pledges he's running on. Many working on his campaign worry about Uncle Elmer being a drunk, so he made that one of his campaign pledges. He made that one of his campaign pledges. What do you mean? He's going from door to door, and he's telling his constituents if they vote for him, this is the last drink he'll ever take. Then he downs a glass of whiskey. And he's having a ball, I'll bet. Well, after 20 or 30 of these pledges, he doesn't remember. I'll bet his people take him home on a stretcher. No, he's too stiff by then. He probably has to kiss a lot of babies to get a vote. No, why would he be kissing babies? Hardly any of them are allowed to vote. I see. Didn't you hear his big campaign speech? Oh, the speech? Uh, no, I must have missed it. Oh, it was a big success. I'll bet. Well, one of the candidates said if he was elected, he would clean up the city. Uh-huh. Another candidate said he would lower the taxes. Uh-huh. But Uncle Elmer outdid them all. I'll bet he did. Yes, he said if he was elected, he'd move to Las Vegas. Well, I gotta go. Why? Uncle Elmer's having a torch parade tonight. Oh, and you're buying the torches. No, silly. I'm buying the fire extinguishers. The Stolen Bride, an Irish myth. About the year 1670... There was a fine young fellow living at a place called Kieran in the County Clare. He was brave and strong and rich. I'm brave, strong, and rich, and I got me own land and me own house, and not one to lard over me. He was called the Kern of Kieran, and many a time he would go out alone to shoot the wild fowl at night along the lonely strand, and sometimes cross over northward to the broad east strand, about two miles away, to find the wild geese. One cold, frosty November eve, he was watching for them, crouched down behind the ruins of an old hut, when a loud splashing noise attracted his attention. It is the wild geese, he thought, 
and raising his gun, waited in death-like silence the approach of his victim. But presently, he saw a dark mass moving along the edge of the strand. I see a dark mass moving along the edge of the strand. And he knew there were no wild geese near him. So he watched and waited till the black mass came closer, and then he distinctly perceived four stout men carrying a beer on their shoulders, on which lay a corpse covered with a white cloth. For a few minutes they laid it down, apparently to rest themselves, and the kern instantly fired, on which the four men ran away shrieking, and the corpse was left alone on the bier. Kern of Kieran immediately sprang to the place, and lifting the cloth from the face of the corpse, beheld by the freezing starlight the form of a beautiful young girl, apparently not dead, but in a deep sleep. Aye, she's a beautiful girl, sleeping quietly. Gently, he passed his hand over her face and raised her up. When she opened her eyes and looked around with wild wonder, but spake never a word, though he tried to soothe and encourage her. Then, thinking it was dangerous for them to remain in that place, he raised her from the bier, and taking her hand away, led her to his own house. They arrived safely, but in silence, and for twelve months did she remain with the kern, never tasting food or speaking word for all that time. A man enjoys a quiet woman now and then, but this, this is unacceptable. When the next November Eve came round, he resolved to visit the East Strand again and watch from the same place, in the hope of meeting with some adventure that might throw light on the history of the beautiful girl. His way lay beside the old ruined fort called Lana Falan, and as he passed, the sound of music and mirth fell on his ear. He stopped to catch the words of the voices, and had not waited long when he heard a man say, in a low whisper, Where shall we go tonight to carry off a bride? And a second voice answered, Wherever we go, I hope better luck will be ours than we had this day twelve months. Yes, said a third. On that night we carried off a rich prize, the fair daughter of O'Connor. But that clown, the Kern of Karen, broke our spell and took her from us. Yet little pleasure he has had of his bride, for she has neither eaten nor drank nor uttered a word since she entered his house. And so she will remain until he makes her eat off her father's tablecloth, which covered her as she lay on the bier, and which is now thrown up over the top of her bed. On hearing all this, the kern rushed home, and without waiting even for the morning, entered the young girl's room, took down the tablecloth, spread it on the table, laid meat and drink therein, and led her to it. Drink! That speech may come to you. And she drank and ate of the food, and then speech came, and she told the kern her story. I was to have been married to a young lord of my own country, and the wedding guests had all assembled, when I felt myself suddenly ill and swooned away, and I never knew more of what happened to me until you had passed your hand over my face, by which I recovered consciousness but would neither eat nor speak, for a spell was on me, and I was helpless. Then the Kurd prepared a chariot, and carried home the young girl to her father, 
who was like to die for joy when he beheld her. And the kern grew mightily in O'Connor's favor, so that at last he gave him a fair young daughter to wife. And the wedded pair lived happily for many years ever after, and no evil befell them, but good followed all the work of their hands. The End Anequin <laughs> It was, uh, again, it's a lament for a wedding. The song Anequin, the way it uh, it came about is I had heard it sung first as uh, <clears throat> in the repertoire of Liam Clancy. And it's a lament for a wedding party that was trying to cross Loch Corrib in Galway. And they were on a on a raft or, or something and there was a bunch of sheep and they had the wedding party and and as they got out into the middle of the lake they hit some rough water and it capsized and everybody on board drowned. So I've always thought that that was a very, very sad uh, image, but I've always loved the the melody, and so I tend to play it as a slow air. Uh, sometimes I pair it with a couple of reels as well, to just to pick up the mood at the and end. And this time you played it on a penny whistle? This was on a penny whistle, yes. And it's a very haunting, beautiful song. Oh, thank you. It is illegal to be drunk in a pub, unbelievable but true apparently, and never seen to be executed. It is illegal to smoke tobacco on Grafton Street. 
The funny thing about this law is that two main tobacco shops in the city are located exactly on Grafton Street. If a leprechaun calls at your door, you must, by law, give him a share of your dinner. You don't have any choice. Holders of the Freedom of Dublin have the right to pasture sheep on common ground within the city boundaries. The law was gladly executed by Bono and the Edge of U2 a couple of years ago. However, some say that by doing so, they accidentally broke the law at the same time as you were only allowed to graze your own sheep, not borrowed ones. You can drive around on public roads without ever proving your competency at driving. I'm not going to comment on that one. Go over there and see for yourself. The Tippling Act 1735 prohibits a publican from pursuing a customer for money owed for any drinks given on credit. The law pretty much explains why you can never get a drink on credit in Ireland. It is illegal to conduct nuclear tests in the city of Dublin. This law from 2006 clearly states that a person who carries out or causes the carrying out of a nuclear explosion in the state shall be guilty of an offense. Crossing a railway track on a bicycle is illegal, whereas you can drive across it legally. You're still supposed to dismount and walk your bike across at a level crossing. It is illegal to perform any form of witchcraft in the city. Sorry. In Trinity College, students can demand a glass of wine during the exam. Another version of the law states that they have to wear a sword, though, which makes it a little more complicated. However, ties in with the next law regarding the student body. It is illegal for a student to walk through Trinity College without a sword. Unfortunately, I've never noticed the law to be executed, though. You can shoot someone and kill them from the top of the bell tower in Trinity on a particular day of the year and not be charged with murder. Apparently, this is true. However, it is impossible to find out which day of the year it is. Did you know that the penalty for suicide was death by hanging? Hurry up in there. I have to go to the bathroom. I'm putting on my makeup. I'll just be another minute. Oh, great. That means another hour and a half. Dilly dally, Sally. I hate it when you call me that. Okay, okay, I'm coming out. You better not be in the way because I'm really mad. Whoa. Too much mascara, Sarah. You'll make me start swearing, Aaron. Your hair's all unruly, Julie. Your comb over's phony, Tony. I hate when you're moody, Trudy. Your mind needs a wake up, Jacob. Don't get in a tizzy, Lizzie. Your brain's on the loose, Bruce. Your butt's getting doughy, Chloe. Get bit by a boa, Noah. Your knees are so scaly, Haley. Get hit by a cycle, Michael. You look like Godzilla, Willa. Wipe off that mucus, Lucas. You smell kind of funky, Spunky. Don't make me puke, Luke. Your lips taste like grease, Denise. 
You're always the martyr, Carter. You stink like a stable, Mabel. Your face is so waxen, Jackson. You're always so sweaty, Betty. I think you've been lying, Ryan. You're full of lasagna, Tanya. You need to diet, Wyatt. You clogged up the potty, Dottie. You act like you're seven, Kevin. You've truly gone batty, Hattie. Your breath has been stinking, Lincoln. You're big as a trolley, Holly. Your death, I will promise, Thomas. Uh, I guess I better stop now. <sighs> I need a daiquiri, Zachary. Oh, talk to me dirty, Gertie. Oh, come be my boy toy, Roy. Let's go get cozy, Rosie. My juices are flowing, Owen. You're fancy schmancy, Nancy. You send me to heaven, Evan. But I still gotta pee, Marie. <laughs> I understand that One-Eyed Riley does not need much of an introduction. One thing I will say is, this is the clean version. One-Eyed Riley. As I was sitting by the fire, talking to old Riley's daughter, suddenly a thought came into my head, I'd like to marry old Riley's daughter. Giddy-i-a, giddy-i-a, giddy-i-a for the One-Eyed Riley, giddy-i-a. Play it on your own bass drum. Riley played on the big bass drum. Riley had a mind for murder and slaughter. Riley had a bright red glittering eye, and he kept that eye in his lovely daughter. Giddy IA, giddy IA, giddy IA for the one eyed Riley. Giddy IA. Play it on your own bass drum. Well, her hair was black and her eyes were blue, and the colonel and the major and the captain soldered the sergeant and the private and the drummer boy too, but they never had a chance with Riley's daughter. Giddy IA, giddy IA, giddy IA for the one eyed Riley. Giddy IA. Play it on your own best drum Well, I got me a ring and a parson too And I got me a flat and a merry quarter Settled me down to a peaceful life Happy as a king with Riley's daughter Giddy-i-a, giddy-i-a, giddy-i-a For the one-eyed Riley, giddy-i-a Play it on your own bass drum Suddenly a footstep on the stair Who should it be but Riley after slaughter With two pistols in his hand Looking for the man what had married his daughter Giddy-i-a, giddy-i-a Play it on your own bass drum Well, I grabbed old Riley by the hair And I stuffed his head in a pail of water Fired his pistols into the air Damn sight quicker than I married his daughter Giddy-i-a, giddy-i-a, giddy-i-a For the one-eyed Riley, giddy-i-a Play it on your own bass drum Burlitz translations of common Irish sayings Top of the morning to you Good morning What's the crack? Hello, how are you? I'm pulling the devil by the tail. Everything is good. I love you and leave you. Goodbye. On your bike. Off you go. <gasps> oh, be Jesus. That's shocking. Ah, <laughs> be Jesus. That's funny. Gaff. House. The gaffer. The boss. Wet the tay. 
Put the kettle on. Cup of scald. A cup of tea. Not a screed. Not a bit. Stall your wits. Be quiet. Not even the tide would take her out. An unattractive girl. Sleep with your good eye open. Be careful. Scraping the bottom of the barrel. Settling for very little. Come here till I tell you. I have something to tell you. Face like a well-chewed toffee. Someone who has a grumpy face. Get your laughing gear around this. Taste this. Sure you couldn't win an argument. To have no luck. Acting the maggot. Misbehaving. I was scarlet. To be embarrassed. Old fella. Your father. Muck savage. Someone from the countryside. Jackine. Someone from Dublin. Are you having a laugh? Are you serious? Can't sleep, tossing and turning. Tried everything from pills to warm milk. We at the Acme Sleep Institute have the solution for you. Siesta Vista. The patented mattress that counts your sheep and sings you to sleep. Here are some testimonials from some of our customers. Siesta Vista is a miracle saver. I don't have to think about what sheep I left off at. I just can be lulled into a deep, deep sleep. I haven't slept this good since my dear old ma used to rock me in her arms. I love you, Siesta Vista. Yes, Siesta Vista. Sleep your deepest sleep. The patented mattress that counts your sheep and sings you to sleep. We love going to theme parks. The big, bold, beautiful theme parks. The kinds that are made of fantasy and pixie dust. The ones that make memories picture perfect. When our son was seven, we decided it was time to go. Just the three of us, Ozzy, Harriet, and Little Beaver. And my plans were packed with glitter and starlight. I booked a four-day cruise, first and then the park. The ship was huge. Eleven decks and 2,700 passengers. I don't think I ever saw anything that huge in my entire life. The magic was endless. I loved this cruise from the moment I set my eyes on the brochure. Oceaneer Club and Lab offer children from 3 to 10 a variety of guided and individual activities from computer games, dress-up, themed activities, experiments, I read. That meant a little time alone for us and me. <laughs> what do you mean, club? I don't want to be alone with random kids. I want to be with you. Honey, it's much more fun being with children your age than with Mommy and Daddy. <sighs> No, it's not. Yes, it is. You just don't know it yet. Well, I didn't know yet either, because Lil Beaver was constantly with us for the whole trip. So much for an adult fantasy. We were on board and loved the pools. Well, you really couldn't swim in them considering it was standing room only. But it was fun to watch. We sat around having drinks when... Ow! What the... Ow! What are these balls flying around? What are you talking about? What... Ow! What the... 
Turns out they were ping-pong balls. Ping-pong tables were cleverly arranged around the sitting area of the pool so that you too could enjoy your share of the ping-pong balls whizzing over and sometimes hitting your head. Where are you going, Oz? I'm going to the bar inside. Yep, Ozzy seemed to spend a lot of time inside. The ship had many beautiful features. The restaurants, the entertainment, the decor of the rooms. I have to concede, however, that unless you are in the suites, the rooms are about 185 square feet. That sounds big. Well, picture climbing over the bed and having a family member standing by the closet so you can open the door to the bathroom kind of big. Do you realize how much we're paying for this matchbox? Bod Beaver and I were having so much fun, we didn't care. Now, aside from the amazing shows, the big features on the cruise, there was the private island. White sand, azure blue waters, and shows. We all were looking forward to that. The day came. Chase lounge chair snorkels and barbecue were provided for. I got the sunscreen, hats, a light reed ready for the relaxing time out on the beach. The morning came and the entire boat was released. I had an uneasy feeling being among 2,700 people scurrying down to the private island, sort of like hogs being corralled out of their pens. I took Beaver by the hand and Oz was following. There I saw, in the distance, the white chaise lounge chairs, one being hurriedly picked off from another by diligent cruise passengers, marking their seats taken with their big beach towels. It was me against the elements, head to head, eye to eye, the survivalists to our last drawn breath. There they were, three chairs by the sea, three glorious chaise lounge chairs, shrouded by rays of sunlight. Breathing heavily, I ran, ran with all my might, yelling behind me for my men to keep up. Three hundred yards, seventy-five. I could feel the victory, taste the prize. Finally, I threw the towel on my mark along with another female predator from Wichita out on the hunt. We stared at each other, neither of us willing to give up our prey, neither of us willing to look down and away from each other's eyes. I knew if I looked away, I would lose. I held my own. The heat was beating down my brow. Drips of perspiration dripped down my neck. But look away. Never. I would never back down. After all, what would my little beaver think of his mother backing down when the going got tough? Never. And when the woman from Wichita looked down, she looked down. I had one, one. Victory was mine. <laughs> we had the chairs. I'm going back to the ship and get a drink at the bar. You see the line at that barbecue? Jeez. I was never going to forget the wonderful time we had on our magical cruise. We enjoyed the glitter, the music, the 2,700 passengers, and the 185 square foot rooms. As we were walking off the plank to our next destination, I observed another fellow mother yelling at her five- and seven-year-old sons. We spent 8,500 bucks on this frickin' trip. You're gonna shut up and love it. Ah, yes. Picture-perfect memories. I'll drink to that. Trixie, remember when we went out partying on St. Patrick's Day? Oh, yeah, Alice. That was a lot of fun. Remember when we ran into that leprechaun? Oh, yeah. He was a lot of fun. Remember when that leprechaun and I went out in the parking lot and spent some time in my back seat? Oh, yeah. That sounded like a lot of fun. Well, now I'm pregnant, and I can't find that damn leprechaun anywhere. 
Oh no, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Sound familiar? You went out on St. Patrick's Day and had a little too much green beer? Then you saw a little too much of that little green man? And now you're expecting a little green baby and that little green man is nowhere to be found? Call me, Paternity Pete, the daddy guy. We'll find that lecherous little leprechaun and make him own up to his little responsibilities big time. Now, Alice, my dear, have a look through our book of known leprechauns to see if you can identify your lascivious little lad. But they all look the same. Squirrely little bearded guys with green suits and pipes in their mouths. How am I supposed to find my little leprechaun? Hmm. Well, this particular little leprechaun is sitting at the end of the rainbow with a pot of gold. That's him. He's the one who planted his little green seed in my garden. Oh, yeah. That's him, all right. Excuse me, sir, or dad, as you're now known. You've been identified as the St. Patrick's Day impregnator of this fine young lady, otherwise known as my client. Are you off your nut, man? I was here at the end of the rainbow all night, drinking me beer and counting me gold. But we found a specimen of your little green DNA in my client's back seat. So, if you'll just hand over that pot of gold, I'll be on my way. Aye, you bucket of snots. Away with you and wash the back of your bollocks. May you sit by the fire to your Nancy Withers, you bog mutton. Another satisfied client. Oh, thank you, Paternity Pete. Now my little green baby has a little green daddy. And I have a pot of gold. Minus my 33%, of course. When you can't find your little leprechaun, call me, Paternity Pete, the Daddy Guy. We take the con out of leprechaun. Welcome to Satan's Hotline. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Everybody knows who I am. I'm Satan. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah, the only show where you can call in and personally talk to me. The one, the only... Satan! <laughs> and for those of you new to the show, this decaying young fella stuck on the pole over here next to me is my trusty sidekick, Bob. Bob used to be a used car salesman and never had a girlfriend. Hey, Bob, how's it hanging? Well, I have been better, though I can't really remember when... Seems like only yesterday you took my soul and shoved this pole up my ass. Doesn't get any better than this, does it, Bob? Can't say it does, Satan. Can't say it does. Still got that 1970 AMC Pacer for, for sale, Bob? Hmm, 1970 AMC Pacer. Ah, now that's what you call a tough car to unload. Even for back then, and not much has changed since. Come on, Bob. It's only the eighth ugliest car ever built. You can do it. I don't know. I'm sure it's bound to happen someday, I guess. But once I do, you're going to release my soul and send me back. There! Not sure I'm ready to give all this up yet. Yeah, a man's got to know when he's got it easy, eh? Well, maybe tonight, Bob. Maybe tonight. We'll see. Ha <laughs> What do you say, Bob? 
Better get to it, eh? Yep, better get to it. No sense putting it off. Well, looks like we're off to a good start tonight. The phone lines are burning up with callers. Uh, let me see if I can take care of them all at once and give them a little surprise in the process. Now, everyone, go to hell. <laughs> well, that was easy. Hey, Bob, did you know that I get the majority of my month's quotas for human souls at the beginning of each show? Yeah. You tell me every day. Not sure if it's because of a failing memory or just part of the eternal tormenting process. Haha, <laughs> win-win, I like to say. Now, with that out of the way, let's go to the letter bin and read a letter sent in by one of our faithful listeners. <laughs> faithful. Ironic, huh? <laughs> Who'd have thought? Anyways, now it's time for... Satan's Mailbag! <laughs> Well, this week's muse comes from Theodore Myers from Boston, Mass. For those of you who live in New Jersey, that's Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, think the kids from Jersey will get that one, Bob? Yeah, Achusets. They'll get it. I hear they're pretty smart up there. Okay, whatever gets you through the day, Bob. Hey, sell that pacer yet? Well, Theodore writes, Dear Satan, I'm 26 years old and I've been a Christian all my life. Recently, I went to a party where I accidentally drank an acid-laced shot of tequila and woke up the next morning naked in the arms of a 62-year-old goth man. At first, it frightened me, but after talking to him until late in the afternoon, I began to question everything about my life, including my religion, which I'm pretty sure my church would be totally not cool with. How do I know what the turning point is for me in my life? Sincerely yours, Teddy. Actually, he signed it Sincerely Yours, Theodore. But right now, he's Teddy to me. And to you, too. <laughs> How about you, Bob? Should we go with Teddy? Sure. Why not? It's not like I'm worried about him taking my place here. Well, Teddy, I'm quite certain you and everyone else in the world knows exactly what your turning point was. <laughs> Am I right, folks? <laughs> well, okay, Teddy. Right now, I want you to go get the rest of your family and some of your closest friends and meet back at your place. Sweet. Our very own fallen angel, Sartia, will be joining us live from Teddy Meyer's house in just a few minutes. And don't forget, ACDC plays live at Beelzebub Park this afternoon, a show you don't want to miss. <laughs> okay, looks like Teddy is there with his friends and family. Sartia, how are we looking over there? Sartia? Sartia, you with me, buddy? Now, where in the hell? <laughs> hell. <laughs> oh, gets me every time. That's funny, no matter how many times I say it, isn't it, Bob? Yep, every time. Each funnier than the last. Well, I guess if you want something done, you gotta do it yourself. Right, Bob? Maybe, but you're Satan. I'd use a minion if it were me. Well, Bob, lots to be thankful for there, eh? <laughs> well, now back to the mailbag. Right, back to the mailbag. Ask him if he's in the market for a 70 pacer. All right, Teddy. Congratulations. Just for writing in, you, your close friends and family have just won an all-expensed paid trip for life to... <laughs> well, I think that's all for tonight, folks, and I guess it's time for me to go to... Yeah, that's right. Go to... <laughs> Come on, Bob, let's ditch this hellhole. <laughs>
Bob? Hey. Well, hey, Teddy. Where'd Bob go? He said he was going to the mall to pick up chicks in his new car. By any chance, was it a 1970 AMC Pacer? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was. Boy, that Bob sure does have excellent taste in automobiles. Haha. <laughs> Good for Bob. That pole feel okay, Teddy? What pole? And we'll see you here next time on Satan's Hotline. <laughs> my dear sister i need some advice what's the quickest way to get to dublin are you going on foot or in the car in the car well that's the quickest way (laughs) carrie my dear brother i heard you finally went to confession after all these years oh that i did kate but it was mighty confusing confusing how can confession be confusing? Well, i just come from the pub, and it was dark in the church. I walked in, sat down, and waited. What happened then? Nothing happened for a few minutes. Then I heard someone on the other side of the wall say, Well, what do you have to say for yourself? What did you say? I said there's no paper on this side. Can you spare me some? Kate, that donkey you sold me the other day has dropped dead. Pajabas, Carrie. It never done that on me. <coughs> Carrie, why don't you give up all the drinking, smoking, and carousing? Ah, it's too late. It's never too late. Well, there's no rush then. <coughs> The next song that we hear is Southwind, and in that you are using a um, Irish-style wooden flute. Yes. Tell me a little background of that song and why would a flute be used? Well, it's um, it's a traditional slow air, and uh, it's played uh, all over Ireland. I first heard it years ago on a recording by the Chieftains, and it, so that takes it back to when I was first starting to play back in the 1970s. And I've always loved the tune. It's a beautiful, beautiful tune. I really like it on the flute simply because the the breathiness of the flute, to my mind, kind of recreates the sound of the wind as it sighs through the uh, through the air.
Brian, I would like to thank you for being on our show today. This was such a treat for me, really, more than you know. Many know that you'll be moving far from Parlor City to become a curator of medieval manuscripts. Let me just say you will be greatly missed by the people here whose lives you have touched over the years. You're a great friend and mentor to me personally as well, Brian. I'd like to thank you for being on our show again. Well, folks, that's all for today's show of KB Cabaret. I want to thank you, our wonderful audience, for tuning in. KB Cabaret could not exist without you. I would also like to thank our hardworking actors and writers, Kate Murray, Judy McMahon, Molly Murray, Charles Berman, John Carey, John Montgomery, and Bill Murray. And I'd like to thank our hardworking sound engineer, Charles Berman, and his assistant, Valentine Monfuega, my musical engineer, Dave Rice, and a special shout-out to Christina Danella, my former music engineer, who is now working on Broadway. KB Cabaret is always looking for original musicians and writers. Inquire at kbcabaret.com. And sponsors, we have a special page just for you at kbcabaret.com. Just go on to the sponsors link and hook up with our climbing number of over 14,000 listeners that we are generating live on this show, our podcast, and on iTunes. In Parlor City, there are no goodbyes, only farewells. Until next time, this is Bree Harvey. Have a Calabaloo type of day. to have you and share our policy. Come back again now to KB Cabaret.